This is Mindset for Success, a We Global Studios podcast. We explore the familiar, but not often talked about, deep-rooted emotional experiences that successful females have when setting up their businesses, and we learn how they overcame them. Hello, I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Knutson, and I'm very happy to welcome to today's show, Linda McBawe. Welcome, Linda, and thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Leslie. It's a pleasure to be on. Thanks for having me. Linda has often been described by her clients as the last coach you'll ever need. She has worked with purpose-driven CEOs, executives, entrepreneurs, creatives, and consultants from around the world who felt they were stuck in various aspects of their life. Her signature power program and tools have made a life-changing difference to her clients who have identified their root trigger and achieved emotional freedom and personal and professional success. She is passionate about having her clients meet their full potential and power and approaches her coaching with a unique combination of both frank and fearless guidance and love and compassion. Linda was born in Nigeria and moved to London at the age of six. Her coaching draws on her own personal and professional experiences, including taking herself from being homeless, depressed, and suicidal to growing a multi-million pound executive recruitment business and transforming herself and her relationships. She travels widely and currently resides in Tulum, Mexico. Linda, would you start by sharing with our listeners a bit about your entrepreneurial journey, which I know started with being the eldest of seven siblings whom you helped nurture? Yeah, I've been working as long as I can remember. I um, was born in Nigeria and moved to London when I was six years old. And when we moved, my mum went from having quite an abundant lifestyle to being by herself with three children and um, pregnant with her fourth. And she, after a couple of years, she divorced my dad and remarried and her second husband was schizophrenic, but they went on to have three more kids. Um, I was the second oldest and the eldest girl. And because her, a lot of her time and attention went to caring for him, I took the responsibility and thought that I needed to help my mom and take care of my family. So uh, from a really young age, we would go without any food for three, three, four days, sometimes Mm -hmm. a week, or um, we wouldn't have any gas or electricity in the house. So I started braiding hair. I would braid my sister's hair and they would go to hang out with their friends and the parents would say, who did your hair? And that's kind of how I started picking up clients from Um, I guess using my little sisters as advertisement and I would get five or 10 pounds paid to me for doing a hairstyle um, and it brought me kind of regular money. I do it, do one child's hair once every two weeks or once a week um, and I would take that money in, buy electricity or buy some supplies like milk and bread and like standard things that could feed all of us. over a period of time. And when I would go to the parents' house to do their children's hair, they would see how mature I was, probably because of the role <clears throat> I was playing at home. So I would, they would ask me to babysit when they wanted to go out or if they needed to do something. And quite often I would be babysitting kids that were older than me, which was, which was interesting. But, um, yeah, so that's how my entrepreneurial journey started. And mm-hmm. Through school, I always knew that I didn't want to work for anyone, but I had a mission to make as much money as I could to make my family comfortable and take them out of the poverty that we had grown up in. So Mm -hmm. 
when I was at university, I worked a 40 hour a week job in a hotel. And when I graduated, I fell into recruitment. Um, I wanted to get into the financial industry, but I didn't have the qualifications. I didn't know that I wanted to get into finance until after I had graduated. So I had an IT degree, which mm-hmm. didn't qualify. So I got into recruitment because I saw lots of adverts of how much commission you could make. And by the age of 21, I was earning six figures, making seven figures for the company that I was working for. And I was like, they. I remember when I got my first commission check, they were like, oh my gosh, Linda, you, you are about to be paid 11,000 pounds this month. That's so exciting. And I was like, why is that exciting? I made 70,000 this month. (laughs) (laughs) And that's when I was like, this, this doesn't feel like the fair exchange because I was working my ass off. I probably worked um, 12 to 15 hours a day. They nicknamed me robot because I was there before anyone got into the office. I was the last one to leave. And that was a regular occurrence. And I just didn't feel that the energy that I was putting in was worth the money I was getting back even though for them they were like you're 21 and you're earning this much you should like no one you know your age would is earning this much which is true but Mm -hmm. for me I had a mission so I actually called my uncle at that stage and said uncle like this this isn't making sense to me I'm ready to start my business what do you think and he said just stay put and get as much experience as you can before starting the business And I listened to him. I probably should have left earlier because I ended up having a, I worked for a large corporation, then a boutique company and a startup. And by the time I left employment to start my business at 25, my um, self-esteem was at rock bottom Mm -hmm. just because of the stuff that I was experiencing being in certain cultures. It's a very white male dominated industry. And I never want to use that as an excuse, but I can't deny the impact some of the comments and and experiences that I had had on me. So um, when I started my first business, I, I spent a lot of time kind of unlearning and, and resolving the mm-hmm. impacts before I was able to truly show up for myself and my business. Can I ask you, pre-doing this boutique firm, did, was your determination and your mission, did it translate into self-confidence, a, a belief that you, you could succeed? Yeah, so I don't think I, so there was a part of me that just knew I was going to be successful because I had no choice. I don't know whether I felt confident. I just had this relentless drive. And some people might think it's the same thing, but I don't think it is. I think when people, a lot of kind of self-help or motivational gurus talk about having a why. And because I knew the suffering my family had gone through, there wasn't any space for me to mm-hmm. wallow in my um, lack of self-confidence. So it was more around, okay, I might not feel good, but I just need to figure out how to work through this. So um, I think those, are, they were, they for me at least, they were distinctly two different things. I don't think I had self-confidence, but I knew I had a determination and there was no plan B. So I had to make it work. So you were you were and probably still are able to really kind of push competing emotions out of the road so you can just focus on what you need to do. Right. Yeah. And and that's been true since you were little. It has been. It was it was more of a survival thing. And I think that sometimes when you are operating from a place of survival, um, like paying attention to emotions is a luxury. Um, and it's interesting because it's it's kind of the basis in which I work with my clients today because our emotions are um, kind of 
from our past experiences and our beliefs about ourselves. But if we're clear on our intention, it's very easy to focus our energy and um and efforts into just taking an action in the present moment so for mm -hmm. me it was like what's what's the next step that i have to do and when you have that much presence and that much attention the emotions kind of don't matter and then once you start to generate evidence new evidence of the success that you have because you're taking that action despite mm -hmm. the fear that starts to eventually build the confidence can i ask you growing up did you feel like you fit in with your peers no not at all. <laughs> um, I grew up in an un underprivileged community and because of the role that I played in my family, I didn't hang out much. So um, I was at home cooking, cleaning, helping my siblings with their mm -hmm. homework, etc. So I, um, you can, as you can hear with my accent, I'm not very hood in terms of using slangs or whatever the, as my friends were because they were hanging out with each other mm -hmm, they were picking mm -hmm. up the lingo mm -hmm. so every time I would hang out with my friends they would say to me that I'm too posh and I was like I'm posh what like I've grown mm -hmm. up in the same area as you guys but then I would go to work and I also wouldn't feel fit in because I dropped my g's um mm -hmm. and I there's I don't pronounce words I'm, I'm not like very eloquent in terms of the English language. So I would be called ghetto at work. And I'm just like, mm. I don't fit in anywhere. I'm too ghetto mm -hmm. for the corporate world and I'm too posh Not for ghetto the enough. community. Exactly. Yeah. For the, yeah. So yeah, so I never fit in. You as an entrepreneur, do you feel like you fit in? Uh, entrepreneurial, uh, that was also the thing. Um, I call myself an introvert right now, but I question whether I'm actually introverted or whether I learned to keep myself to myself as a survival mechanism because of this relentless why I had, I kind of exceeded expectations in terms of what people that I grew up with were creating in their lives. And I remember having a conversation with one of my friends and she said, uh, oh, I'll never have a mortgage. And I was like, why? She was like, I just never will. It's not just, it's not something we do. And I was like, you're not even trying. Like to me, that wasn't, if I saw the reason I wanted to get into the financial world is because I was intern in the, in the IT department and I walked past some traders and I asked them some questions and they let me shadow them. And they told me that they were making a minimum of 250,000. And to me, it looked like they weren't doing any work. So mm -hmm. I didn't ever see myself as different. I was like, okay, if they can do that, then I want to get into finance so I can do that. It was, there's, I think I've always had a, like figure out how to do it rather than a, well, I don't have any evidence of it. It's not possible for me. And pe mm -hmm. those people are different to me. So I think that really made me stand out. And I was the only one, well, yeah, I was the only one of, out of the girls in my year that went to uni. So when I would come back from Manchester to visit and people would see me um, in the like shopping area, they would say, oh, where have you been? And I'd say, I've been to uni and I'd see the impression change. And my sister would say to me, Linda, you can't like share like mm -hmm. what you're doing because it makes them feel bad. And I'm like, but it's the truth. I'm not trying to make mm -hmm. anyone feel bad. What am I supposed to do, lie? Mm -hmm. So then I started realizing that um, there, there are certain friends that are so happy for me and so supportive. And then there are other people that feel, I guess it highlights where they're not by me sharing where I am in my entrepreneurial journey. So mm -hmm. yeah, that has definitely isolated me from some some groups. But over time, I was able to find new networks and new communities where I was the, I was mm -hmm. the one not doing as much as they were doing. So yeah. Do you feel like you've sort of grown up being 
being aware of feeling judged by other people? Uh, yeah, I've been called intimidating a lot. Um, and I think I'm a pussycat and I love humans. <laughs> so when people say, oh my gosh, you're so intimidating. I'm like, what makes me intimidating? They're like, you just have a presence about you. And I'm like, I'm in me. So I can't feel this presence that they talk about, but it is something consistent. And some people are like, oh, I was scared of you at the start. I didn't want to talk to you. I didn't think you were going to be nice. And and it's like, I yeah, that's that has... Um, it's been a, a point of insecurity for me because I'm like, and I think at certain times in my life, less so now, I've tried to figure out how to dim myself in order mm, to be mm, mm. accepted or um, be approachable by people. But um, yeah, it was, I can't, I can't affect whatever energy I give out. So I, I gave up. <laughs> but it also sounds like in addition to being aware of being criticized, you also have the social intuition to be able to not personalize. Of course, I know we're all human. And so sometimes we do personalize, but not always jump to the personalized uh, piece of the judgment. I think to an extent, I took it on because I think all of us have a level of wanting to be liked. Um, but again, because I had a why, I, I couldn't, there was only so much I could I could do to satisfy people while still, felt, it was still more important to me to create comfort for my family. So I couldn't dim myself. And it's actually why my last relationship ended. I was engaged to be married and I was the financial provider as well as the emotional. And he was like, you don't you don't need me. And I started realizing that I would have to change who I was fundamentally in order for him to be happy. So I ended mm. the, the engagement for four months before the day, which was the hardest decision to date that I've had to make. But also I've incurred some experiences in the recruitment industry at the startup that I worked in. One of the founding partners, just he felt he was struggling to figure out how to get along and, and deal with me. But I ended up, by that point, I wasn't taking it personal. And I was like, let me just ask him questions and see what's going on for him instead of assuming that he just doesn't like me for the sake of not liking me. And yeah, I discovered that he had been in a, he grew up, it went to an all boys private school. His mom was a stay at home mom. He didn't have experience of working with women in a professional capacity and even with his business before he didn't get on along with the women there. So I realized that it wasn't personal. It was just his, his framework or his perception of where women should be based on his experiences, which is not his fault. So, yeah. But it also sounds like you have an awful lot of intuition to be able to suspend for the moment, maybe your perception of what people are seeing, by listening, by asking the right questions and listening to them so you can kind of have an idea of where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I've learned that through through the work I've, I've done on myself through, um, since working through um, depression that a lot of the things that were affecting me were in my my makeup. They were in my illusion. So whenever people communicate some sort of thing, some sort of reaction to me. I know like 90, 95% of the time, it's more more about what's going on within them than, than me. I might just be shining a, lot, a light on something and creating a reaction within them. But I'm also um, humble enough to know that I there could be 
feedback that I can receive that will help me in in my growth, which is why I answer questions because it allows me to identify, okay, is this a you thing or is there something that mm-hmm. I can be responsible for mm-hmm. and work on changing? It's also kind of something helpful for our listeners to be able to take away with. Is it a you thing or is it something about what who, the person you're speaking with? To kind of just suspend for a minute perceptions and how you think things are going. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You talked a little bit about after you know, being sort of asked to leave the high-flying job that you had after your first job out of college, that you kind of suffered a lot around different ideas, being depressed or anxious about stuff. Can you share a little bit with our listeners how you were able to come to the other side of that? The depression wasn't about the job in isolation. So everything happened at the same time um, Mm -hmm. with me and in my um, engagement four months before the day, um, getting, I actually got an ultimatum from the founding partner that I was speaking to, um, speaking about. He told me that I should either keep my opinions to myself um, or decide whether this is the best place for me. And I was a partner. So I was, I just thought, okay, this is a no brainer decision. I'm, I'm leaving. And going from having this like, high flying job. I was a partner of a company at the age of 24, 25. I was about to get engaged um, to kind of being single, being jobless, having to move in with my mom, who at the time I wasn't getting along with because I was blaming her for not letting me have a childhood and letting me play this responsible Mm -hmm. role. So we were arguing a lot. So all of those circumstances happening at the same time, especially with me working the way that I had been working most of my life leading up to that point. I just had nothing left. My tank was empty and I fell into depression. And it wasn't something I thought um, I would ever face because I just assumed that Mm -hmm. weak people were the ones who suffered from depression and I wasn't weak and I was strong and independent. Um, And I actually met, it was the biggest blessing for me because I don't think I would have Learned, got on a journey of change had it not been for that that level of severe pain, which is unfortunate. But as humans, we get so attached and addicted to our identity and our patterns that I learned to survive. I had created all of this success in my work and um, I was taking care of my family and, and I was doing that with the way that I was. So if someone had told me that I needed to change or how I was wasn't serving me, I would have told them where to go because it like I didn't know anything else. So by falling into depression, I had to like do a, a little bit of an audit of like what how have I got here? What went wrong along the way? Mm-hmm. And I met a coach and that's when I started really delving into some of the beliefs that I had and how they they were kind of forcing me to show up. I realized that I didn't know how to ask for help. I didn't know how to say no. I was taking on way more than I could. I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have an indication of knowing what was too much or too little. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I started realizing that I actually got a payoff from playing this kind of savior role because it made me feel significant, even though it led me to a breakdown. So mm-hmm. um, by working through and identifying what was going on, the with awareness gave me choice. So the mm-hmm. choice was either keep on as I was or start 
interrupting my patterns and fighting the urge to jump in and save my family and um, giving them space to figure things out themselves or learning how to say no, even though everything in me was feeling guilty and feeling shame and feeling like I had to, and like just really taking tangible actions to interrupt what my mind had programmed to, to feel was normal or necessary. And by doing that, I was able to start the process of healing and I've never been depressed since. It says a lot about, you know, in order for people to sort of be able to reach out and get help in some ways you have to get to a place where you're so unhappy that you, you disrupted, as you say, disrupt the process and sort of look at what are you doing to create a situation that maybe could be better for you? What are you doing to stop that? So you can create a situation to be better for you and reach out and get help, which I think growing up probably didn't occur to you because you just had to survive and move through Mm -hmm. and you had to get to a place where you actually needed some help and you were able to get it, which is of course, as you say, the gift of, of having a crisis, right? Exactly. Um, And yeah, it's, it's interesting because I I meet a lot of people who think that they want to change and who think that they want better. But then when it comes to actually doing the work to create the life they want, they they don't. And one of the most annoying things I say to some of my clients is that it doesn't hurt enough. Um, And they're like, what do you mean it doesn't hurt enough? This isn't fun. (laughs) I'm like, if it was painful enough, there would be no other choice but to take the action. If you have the luxury of staying where you are and complaining about it it's it's too comfortable it's a it's a discomfort you're comfortable with and and sometimes the the unknown is so scary because we don't we can't predict what will happen and our brain only knows how to to deal with past data so it takes a lot of courage to go against yourself go against your thoughts go against your emotions step towards what you want so i do think that um, crisis is a I usually um, I'm excited I've told some of my clients that have come to me at the point of like I can't do this anymore I can't take it I don't know why I have nothing left I'm, I'm like this is amazing they're like what <laughs> I'm like yeah because I know now I'm like, you're, gonna, you're gonna do the work right they're like yeah like I need something something's got to shift I'm like that's why I'm excited for you because yeah they're at the point of like there's no plan b and there kind of needs to be no plan b for you to really right in fact you got to clear the table before you set it up again exactly yeah totally agree last question because believe it or not we're towards the end of our podcast Mm -hmm. do you ever fear that your business will fail and if so how do you work through this uh, all the time is the, is the answer. Um, and how I work through it, I have learned to that it's none of my business what is what's going to happen in the future. The only thing that's in my control is now. So every time I catch myself fearing, I firstly have so much evidence of how many times things have just worked themselves out that that now makes me more comfortable to be present and to trust that everything is going to unfold. And then also the only way that I can feel empowered is like, what can I do now? And what is showing up in my reality right now that I can use as data and information and wisdom? And what have I learned from my past experiences? And what do I need to expand? And I've also 
people learn to ask for help. So I've been looking for a business coach for a while, um, maybe two, three years. And I met someone recently and we started next week. So it's nice to have someone who's like a hundred steps ahead of me. He's, mm-hmm. he's already exited his coaching business. So I now know that moments where I get to, to a point or a problem that I haven't ever dealt with or figured out, I now have someone who I can kind of call on to say, okay, how did you work through this? Or what ideas do you have? And that also gives me reassurance to surround myself with people who are a lot smarter, a lot successful, more successful than me. And not to have to push yourself to do it on your own. No, no, exactly. that's where I felt before. I was right. thinking I'm superwoman. And now I know that being superwoman is having a team of people who are mm-hmm. really and specialize and successful in their different fields and being able to lean on them in the same way that I can they can lean on me for different things so Linda thank you so much for your time it was really great and I appreciate you being on thank you can you let our audience know um, if they'd like to learn a little bit more about you where they can find you yes so um, because I have been building things up. I do have a process that I work with with clients. A lot of my business has grown through recommendation and referral, but I am on Instagram um, at Linda Mbagu, and I'm in the process of developing my website. So that will be launched soon, but I'll probably announce it on Instagram. I'm also on LinkedIn. I need to be more active there too. Um, Linda Mbagu there as well. So those are the two places you can find me. Great. Thank you again for your time. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. This podcast is brought to you by We Global Studios, the first startup innovation studio and digital DIY startup platform for women entrepreneurs around the world. For more information on our guests, this podcast, and many other female founder programs, please visit weglobalstudios.com. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Knudsen. Please drop me a line at mindsetforsuccess at weglobalstudios.com. See you next week.